Today, you are going to get a front row seat to the behind-the-scenes story of the Springboks' journey at the 2011 Rugby World Cup with assistant coach Dick Muir. Dick, welcome back to Front Row Rugby. Yeah, thank you very much, Pete, and uh, well done with the work you're doing. Before we begin our conversation, let's take a look at today's trivia question. Who was the top try scorer for the Springboks at the 2011 Rugby World Cup? Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it in the comment section down below, and we'll also find out if Dick knows the answer, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. Dick, let's begin on the eve of the 2011 Rugby World Cup as a coaching staff. How confident were you guys that you could go there and win the tournament? Yes, yeah, we were uh, an experienced squad. We were confident about going to the World Cup. We, uh, we obviously uh, were going in there with the view of uh, peaking at the right time, so we were slightly underdone going into the World Cup, but uh, confident that we were going to peak at the correct time and, and be able to to go on and win the World Cup. The opening match against Wales was actually quite a tight affair. Talk to me about the nerves that you were experiencing in the coaching box. Yeah, look, we were well prepared for that Wales game. Uh, obviously, Wales were playing exceptionally well, and it was a close encounter right to the bitter end. Uh, however, we had the confidence in our squad that we were going to pull it through and it, uh, you know, we were applying pressure in the right uh, areas of the field. And uh, if we just carried on doing what we were, what we were meant to be doing, we would have, uh, uh, we were going to be successful. So uh, although it was a close encounter, it wasn't too, uh, too nerve wracking for me in the coach's box. Describe your role on the training ground. Yeah, my role, uh, as the assistant coach uh, to Peter de Villiers, alongside Gary Gold, who was the other assistant coach, uh, was particularly around the back line uh, with, the, with the two units. Gary looked after the forwards, I looked after the backs. And then Gary sort of controlled more the defensive side, where I controlled the attacking side. We also had Jacques Ninaba and uh, Rassi Erasmus that joined us. Uh, Jacques was uh, more on the defensive side. Uh, as well as Rossi more on the technical side. But uh, we had a formidable coaching team and uh, we were well prepared for the World Cup. And what was your relationship like with Peter de Villiers? I had a very good open relationship with Peter. Uh, we respected each other from, uh, from and had worked together for uh, before. So uh, Peter and I had a very good relationship. Uh, he allowed me to do what uh, what I could do best, and uh, and 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 I had the right respect for Peter as well. After that Wales match, we then played Fiji and we hammered them. Would you say that we were starting to hit our stride at that stage? Yeah, so we were well prepared for the Fiji game. Uh, Fiji are one of those teams that you don't want to take too lightly. So uh, there was good motivation, good leadership that was uh, on and off the field. Um, and we went in with a very experienced side. So, yeah, we, we won that game quite easily and we were happy with our performance. And after that, we came up against Namibia and we actually put on the biggest victory margin of the tournament against the Namibians. How difficult can it be preparing for a team like that, knowing that you're going to win comfortably? Yeah, so typically when you play against a team like, New, uh, like Namibia, where you expect it to win and you expect it to win comfortably, uh, it's really important to uh, make sure as coaches that uh, the players are on edge, that they're excited about the match and uh, that they don't take anything for granted. So, uh, yeah, it's just one of those coaching things. The bigger the game, the less motivation uh, needed 
uh, by the players. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was one of those games where you know the guys did what they needed to do, and uh, we got the the result that we wanted. Let's talk a little bit about our match against Samoa. We were 13-0 ahead after 30 minutes, but then we didn't score another point. And yes, we ended up winning, but perhaps the victory margin was too close for comfort. What happened that night? Yeah, the, the game against Samoa was uh, a, a very interesting game. We, we got into the lead quite early on, and then uh, you know we sort of t- uh, tended to, to uh, take our foot off the pedal a little bit. But... Uh, a game, uh, uh, one's got to give credit to Samoa. Samoa played particularly well. Uh, we probably gave them too much possession in the second half and uh, ended up having to defend our trial line uh, quite a bit. But, uh, but you know, the, the, the problem that happened to us on that particular night was that we picked up some, some injuries. Um, and uh, that's exactly what you don't want in a World Cup is, uh, you know, you've got guys that you've sort of, uh, earmarked to be your starting lineup, and uh, if you pick up injuries, it is a little bit disruptive. But uh, that's the nature of the game, so you've got to just uh, be able to roll with the punches. Let's talk about the physicality for a moment. We often hear other teams talk about the Springboks and having to meet the challenge that we present physically. But then we also hear about Samoa, Fiji and Tonga, the Pacific Island nations, and the physicality that they bring to the table. Talk to me about the differences. Yeah, so the physicality that uh, that's spoken about a lot, uh, you know, a team like South Africa is, uh, is generally physical, uh, at places like the breakdown, the driving malls, uh, the the in contact area. Whereas, uh, if you have a look at the the, the island teams, uh, generally where where they are more physical is that uh, they come in with big hits, sometimes a little bit off the ball uh, incidents. Where you know if somebody's uh, and 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 some of those hits are maybe a little bit late, but you know uh, one can't really generalize. I think the biggest thing for me is uh, you know you get to playing against these teams where you just know that uh, there are going to be some big hits and uh, you've got to brace yourself for that. Do you really know your rugby? Do you always get your predictions right? Why not make some money then? Open an account right now with Tic Tac Bets and get up to 2,000 Rand and 20 spins with your first deposit. The link is appearing on your screen and I'll also put it in the description area. Please note that this is an affiliate link and I will make a little commission on it. Winners know when to stop. National Responsible Gambling Programme, toll-free helpline 0800-006-008. No persons under the age of 18 years are permitted to gamble. So there was a documentary that came out after South Africa won the 2019 Rugby World Cup. We saw a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff and at halftime you see there's a lot of talking, there's a lot going on. What were you doing in the change room in 2011, Dick? Yeah, with every coaching team, there's uh, there's a, a protocol that one would would stick to at halftime. So, you know, typically what we did in 2011 was when uh, the uh, the guys got into the change room, we allowed them some time just to uh, be able to replenish the the, the tanks uh, to uh, to rehydrate, uh, and then for the guys just to relax a little bit, we'd split into two groups: uh, one being the forwards, the other being the backs. We'd discuss. Uh, you know, things that had gone well, things that, that we'd struggled with, uh, things we wanted to change uh, tactically where we saw opportunities. 
Um, and then, obviously, your substitutions is a big thing as well. So just to get your head around that and know exactly what you're going to be looking to do when. Um, and then we'd get together as a, as a team. We'd, uh, we would pre-discuss what our, what our thoughts were around the tactics that we wanted to implement or, or change or, or stay the same. Uh, but uh, it, it's around that. And, and, and again, you know, what you want to be able to do is, is hear it from the, the player's side. So it's not just uh, a sort of coach-centered. It's also from the player's side what, what they'd like to do and what they would like to change. So, um, yeah, the... the uh, you know, there seems to be this hype about what what's said at halftime and what's not. Uh, the good teams are the ones that are pretty relaxed at halftime and they know exactly what they're wanting to go out and do in the second half. And uh, and that's where the tactical astuteness uh, and your your use of the substitute is, is the substitutes is very important. Speaking of half-time, in the quarter-final against Australia, we were 8-3 down at the interval, despite dominating territory and possession. What were your feelings at that stage? So the, the half-time feeling, uh, you know, against Australia was, was quite frustrating because uh, we, we were doing a lot of the playing, but we weren't getting the, uh, the recognition or the, the results on the scoreboard. Uh, wasn't sort of going in our way, so we were we were making little errors that uh, that kept them in the game, and 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 obviously we were then chasing the game. Um, so the uh, there was a there was a little bit of frustration. A lot of the the refereeing decisions were going against us, um, and uh, and that you could feel that uh, the sort of frustration that was going on amongst the players. Um, Again, you know, we, we we were doing what we wanted to do. It was just a matter of time as to when we were going to get uh, get rewarded for the the hard work that was being put in, and uh, and then in particular, you know, that uh, that try that we scored that was disallowed, and there was one a few other of those sort of incidents that happened, and uh, and you know, with that, the sort of clocks winding down, and uh, and then you uh, you staring down the barrel, so. I must say it was a very frustrating uh, game uh, against a, a very good Australian outfit. You know that they'd won the Tri Nations in the lead up to the World Cup, so so they were never to be underestimated. But uh, it was a game that uh, that we felt that we should comfortably have won, uh, and obviously not doing that, we we couldn't progress in the World Cup. These days, Dick, at halftime, we often see interviews with the assistant coaches. And when the team is trailing, often the message that we hear will be stick to the processes, trust the processes. But to the casual fan, the question might be, if what you're doing isn't working, then why not try something else? Can you explain that to us? Yeah, so in, in, in the lead up to, to matches or seasons or campaigns, whatever you're talking about, you know, you... Uh, you sort of set aside uh, what your plan is, and and uh, you work accordingly. So, so a lot of hard work goes into the preparation of these sort of games, and uh, and you know, so so you've got a you've got a system, and the system's obviously been working for you and your team, and uh, and everybody believes in that. So, so sometimes when when things aren't going the way that you want them to go, you just want to revert back to the self-belief that there is and, and to be able to carry on doing what you you are wanting to do. Some of the time is uh, the opposition have uh, have come in with a tactical uh, 
change or, or something that, that that prevents you from doing what you're wanting to do. And, and that's where you've got to be able to be flexible enough to be able to adjust to to the circumstances, you know, whether it's weather conditions, whether it's a referee, whether it's a, a particular player that's playing well versus one that's not playing so well. You know, you've just got to, you've got to be able to adapt uh, under the circumstances. And that's where your, your leadership on the field is very important. And uh, for the guys to be able to see the opportunities and take those opportunities. And that's part of the process of coaching is to be able to say, listen, guys, this is what we want you to do under these sort of circumstances and, uh, and allow the players to express themselves and to be able to make those decisions because, uh, they're the guys that are on the field and they're going to be making those calls. So, you know, it's a, it's a whole process. And for me, um, whether you measure yourself as a coach on, on wins and losses, it's about that improvement and, and gaining that maturity as a, as a group uh, and the leadership and the understanding and everything else that goes with it. Mornay Stain slots a drop goal with 20 minutes to go and we are finally in the lead. Are you thinking at that moment at long last? Yeah, it's it's funny how the sort of ebb and flows happen in a, in a match, and uh, you know the the biggest thing is is to just trust the process. Uh, so when you have a, a situation like that where Mornay just, you know hits a drop goal and you go ahead, uh, you know you 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 do feel that uh, finally we're now uh, in a position where we're going to extend that lead and 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 we're not going to be under the pressure that we are under. So. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 strange how how different coaches sort of uh, adapt to that situation. But uh, for me, it uh, it was a sense of relief that uh, we've gone ahead, and uh, you know we're now going to uh, sort of just consolidate because we were making a lot of uh, nervous errors, and it uh, and it was quite frustrating that the decisions uh, and the bounce of the ball. Uh, wasn't kind of going the refereeing decisions that is uh, weren't sort of going our way and uh, and you know at the time uh, David Pocock was uh, was was giving us a tough time at the breakdown and uh, we didn't uh, and 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 whether fairly or unfairly but uh, we didn't cope with that very well uh, so we were turning the ball over and 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 again it was uh, just frustrating from. Uh, uh, you know, not, not being able to get the reward where we needed to. It's fair to say that whenever that match is discussed, the refereeing performance is brought up. Talk to me about the frustration that you guys were feeling in the aftermath of the defeat. Yeah, when you talk about uh, that particular match, uh, often the referee uh, refer- referee uh, comes into play and uh, and that's part of the game, you know. So one, one, one needs to be able to handle that situation. Obviously, within in a knockout competition like that, it's very frustrating that uh, those decisions don't go your way. Um, however, you know we we were a team that uh, that were good enough to to not be putting ourselves under the pressure of having to rely on refereeing decisions that go your way or don't go your way. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a uh, a World Cup. Which you would feel that uh, we could have we could have progressed, and we were the team that uh, that uh, were able to beat New Zealand. And obviously, with them having gone on and won the World Cup, in hindsight, now you you say that South Africa could have posed that uh, the biggest threat to 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 the All Blacks. But again, 
you know, it's all it's history, and uh, they did incredibly well, and it was a well-deserved World Cup for them. Hey, if you're enjoying this video, why not consider becoming a patron? You can click on my Patreon link, I'll put it on the screen as well as in the description box, and there will be great benefits for members. Let's get back to the interview. Okay, Dick, I have a theory and it goes as follows. New Zealand had a record at the World Cup at that stage where they would get to the quarterfinals, semifinals, and sometimes even final and choke, as it were. And obviously, with South Africa being their greatest rivals, and had we won that quarterfinal, we would have played them in the semifinals. And I think that the New Zealanders may actually have been overwhelmed by the nerves, maybe even panicked a little bit, and we would have won that semi and gone on to win the final. I'd like to hear your thoughts on my theory. Yeah, it's all uh, it's all <laughs> hypothetical, you know. So, uh, yeah, you know, you one, one can think whatever you want, but uh, the situation is that you know you lose a quarterfinal, you're gone. You know, uh, what could have happened in the semi-final? Uh, yeah, that's that's just, how long's a piece of string, you know. But for me, uh, we really felt that uh, we we had the measure of the All Blacks, and uh, had we won that. Uh, that quarterfinal we would have played against the All Blacks. So I'll leave it to your judgment to uh, to call it as you wish. Was there a player in the squad who you got on particularly well with? Yeah, I, I must say that uh, I was very fortunate in that uh, we had good relationships with all the players, uh, and uh, you know we treated everybody evenly. So uh, yeah, the, the the leadership group uh, led well. Uh, the players responded. There was uh, there was a great work ethic amongst everybody, uh, and everybody got along. So you know whether you measure your success on winning and losing, I think it's all those aspects that one's got to look at to say you know in your tenure was there was there a synergy was there a collective working together? How was the leadership group? Did you leave the team in a better place than where you uh, where you got them? at the beginning, and uh, I think we can comfortably say that we did. Now, during a World Cup, you can be away from home for around two months, and that means that there is an opportunity to experience the host nation. Talk to me about what it was like experiencing New Zealand, the country, during that World Cup. Yeah, so uh, New Zealand as a country has always been a great uh, great place to tour as uh, for, for us, particularly as South Africans, because... Uh, you know the outdoors, the the passion and the love for rugby, uh, and then you know the the extramural activities. I mean, there's just so much to do, so many beautiful places. So, you know, as a team, uh, we we enjoyed touring in New Zealand, and uh, yeah, we had a lovely time, and uh, it's a great place to to visit. Last time you were on Front Row Rugby, you told me an hilarious story about giving Nick Mallett, the assistant coach at the time, sleeping tablets while on tour. Dick, in this case, you were now the assistant coach. And with the roles being reversed, I'm keen to hear, did the players play any pranks on you? I must say, um, you know, in any team environment, there's, uh, there's a time when one needs to be serious and then there's a time to be pretty jovial and, and enjoy everybody's company. And uh, with that, there's a lot of practical pranks. And uh, I was often on the receiving end of those practical pranks where you know that when you, when you sort of enjoy that space. Uh, so the one that uh, stands out to me was uh, we were on a, en route to a, a semifinal in Super Rugby. And uh, the, my fellow coaching team with the Sharks at the time was Grant Bashford and John Plumtree. And... Uh, 
we'd uh, decided that we'd get get the players on the on the plane to be able to stay awake for a certain period so that we could adapt to the the time zones in, in Australia en route there. And uh, when they went down to check on the players, they found uh, one of the players to be sleeping. So they came back to me and they reported back. And then and when we, uh, half an hour later, they sort of said, listen, uh, Dick, it's uh, you go down there, just have a look at uh, one of the players, uh, the third on the third row on the left-hand side. Uh, one of the players there was sleeping earlier just uh, if he is, just uh, give him a slap on the on the head and make sure you keep him awake. So when I went down there, lo and behold, there he was sleeping again. So I gave him a crack on the head. Uh, but uh, with that, it was a, a Japanese uh, tourist that was sitting in business class that had been that had received these second ones. So that reflected pretty poorly on me. But, uh, yeah, lots of, uh, lots of pranks that, uh, that happened and uh, a lot of fun that was had and camaraderie amongst the, the players, coaches, and everybody else in the, in the team. Okay, Dick, let's finish off with the trivia question. Who was the top try scorer for the Springboks at the 2011 Rugby World Cup? Do you know the answer, Dick? Uh, yes, I think I do know who it was. It was uh, Francois Hofart who, uh, who was playing on the wing and at Scrum Hoff. So Francois was, uh, was one of the guys that, uh, that got uh, to finishing off a lot of the moves and, uh, and he was our top try scorer at the World Cup. Francois Hochard, indeed. Dick, let me say it was lovely having you on Front Row Rugby today. A pleasure as always. And I hope that we can have you on again in the future. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Peter, and uh, good chatting to you and uh, all the best to your audience and uh, enjoy the World Cup. I think it's going to be a really exciting one and go South Africa.